electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Charlie's mic, Charlie's mic, and this is Warren's mic, Warren's mic. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today, kicking off a wealth of wisdom, our four-part series with Warren Buffett. Hi! Becky Quick sits down with the Oracle of Omaha, going on 91 years young and still building a $100 billion fortune. But we did start with three failures. (laughs) And his longtime partner in profit, Charlie Munger. I just knew instantly Charlie was the kind of guy that I was going to like him. And I was going to learn from. How they met, how they do business, what's changed, and what hasn't in their 60 years of friendship. What I like about Warren is the irreverence. We don't have automatic reverence for the pompous heads of all civilization. Treat Warren like you'd treat any 90-year-old. I was 35 at the time. (laughs) And it worked very well. We had a good relationship. Plus the wisdom in Buffett's wealth. I've never borrowed a dollar. I wasn't sure I was going to pay back one way or another. And Becky Quick reflects on covering the Berkshire billionaire. And he was telling stories just about some of the deals he and Charlie had done and different things. And I thought, wow, you know, you're better off if you just shut up and listen to them. It's Tuesday, July 6th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today and for the rest of this week, we're bringing you an unscripted, intimate conversation with our Becky Quick and about 190 years of business wisdom, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. The two Nebraska natives have been friends for more than six decades and business partners for more than five. Since the late 1960s, they have been CEO and vice chair of one of the country's biggest companies. Berkshire Hathaway is worth some 600 plus billion dollars. Here they are at one of the famous Berkshire Hathaway annual meetings for shareholders, part trade show. Hi! Can you get a picture? Absolutely. Part convention. If you'll just hold your applause until the end or or even later if you wish. Uh, uh. Part Lollapalooza. I'm Warren. This is Charlie. He can hear, I can see, we work together. 
Buffett is the oracle of Omaha, perhaps America's most famous investor. He has amassed a more than $100 billion fortune running the conglomerate that oversees dozens of household names, Geico, Fruit of the Loom, Dairy Queen, and acquiring stocks. Buffett's portfolio is about $300 billion in shares of companies like Apple, Bank of America, and Coca-Cola. Munger is vice chair, a lawyer by training, and an investor by practice. Here he is in 2016 about their partnership. I constantly quote Warren, and everybody always loves it. You take the high road, it's uncrowded. Let's kick this off with our Becky Quick. How did you start covering Warren Buffett? Well, it was, you know, a little bit by accident. Um, I, I'd met him a couple of times. I'd been out to the annual meeting and gotten a chance to say hi and ask a couple of questions of him. Um, he used to do this thing where he'd do five minutes with any broadcast reporter who showed up. And he'd just line up at all of them and you'd stand on the line, you get five minutes, he'd just work his way down the line. So I met him that way. I, I'd heard he was going to China. I, I had just gone to China with Boone Pickens and I thought, wow. Um, let me just call him up. So I called him up, we chat a little bit, and I said, hey, I hear you're going to China. Can I go with you? Which, by the way, was such a weird, bizarre thing. <laughs> totally out of character for me. Um, and he's so nice and Midwestern and polite. He, he, he paused for a long moment, and, he, and I guess he couldn't figure out a polite way to say no. So he said, well, uh, okay, sure. But that, I remember hanging up the phone after he said yes and being like, oh, that's going to be so great. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, what in the heck am I going to talk to Warren Buffett about for 12 hours on this flight over there? When I showed up, he, he was getting on the plane. He had a stack of newspapers and all of these quarterly reports he was bringing to read. And we just started talking newspapers because he shared his newspapers with me. He, he was just very interested in the process and the journalism in it. We talked a lot about those things and we kind of hit it off. The first one about insurance. China Life, did you look at buying the oh, No, that, there was a rumor. And that was kind of the beginning of it all. And it was just um, really interesting to see what was happening in China at that point, the things they were involved with. All right, Warren, um, I, I guess we've only been here what would you say, about six hours? Something now? like that, yeah, maybe a little less even. <laughs> All right, so it's early initial yeah. first impressions, but what do you think? It blows me away. I mean, it, you know, we've been driving, I don't know how many miles, and it's just one plant, one new plant after another, and uh, every name in the world. I've never seen so much industrial activity, and particularly that's been developed that recently in, in a place like this. What year was that when you invited yourself to China? <laughs> I think it was 2007, maybe, when I went with uh, with Warren. All right, Warren, we're on our way back. Okay. Trip's over. You know, you mentioned this was a two-day world tour. Why are your trips so short? Well, there, there's not much I can do uh, after. I can cut a ribbon. You know, I'm pretty good at that. Now I've had a lot of practice, and I and I can smile. And I, I can, uh, but in terms of telling about a layout of factory, or telling in terms of how to make sales calls or develop new. Uh, ideas from R&D, I'm, I'm pretty useless. So I do what's, what I can do and what's needed, and, and then I get back home. Great. Excellent. Jerry, did you just want to get a river yeah, or something? Right. I pick up the phone from the uh, office anyway at the house, so I'll just start reading like crazy. <laughs> yeah, a lot of catching up to do. Those big boxes never got completely The big through. boxes, just <laughs> they were for show. I just wanted to show you what I would have done if you hadn't been walking. He's <laughs> <laughs> somebody who you know, it's just constantly thinking. It's what he does so well. Charlie does it too, you know. Um, these guys will can look at something, hear a problem, look at something, 
look at a deal, look at a potential valuation of a business, and they've analyzed it seven ways to Sunday before they even open their mouths. You're better off if you just shut up and listen to them. Their depth of knowledge and their recall on everything. I think they both have photographic memories. Um, they can read anything and remember it, like the details of details from the details of deals from 50 years ago. And that's what kind of what started this whole thing. Warren and I'd been talking back and forth, um, getting ready for the Berkshire annual meeting where I was just trying to figure out what we were doing because he was going out to Los Angeles, whether I was going to be able to go out. And he was telling stories just about some of the deals he and Charlie had done and different things. And I thought, wow, you know, the two of them are going to be together in Los Charlie's Angeles. Mike, Charlie's Mike. It, it'd be great to get them to sit down and and talk about some of these things. This is Warren's mic. Warren's mic. Morning, Warren. How are you? Becky sat down with longtime friends Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger earlier this spring. Charlie, you have a beautiful home. Well, I built it in 1959. I never moved. You're looking at two billionaires that have lived in the same house for each for 62 years. I don't know how many there are. These two have personalities that work together so well, and you talk to them about the way they first met, which was in the late 1950s. And it sort of struck me as like, it's a bit like a cinematic romance or a, a bromance, <laughs> I guess. Right? But they, they were sort of, they were set up. It's really cute, isn't it? It is. You know, they, there was a, someone who had invested with Warren. Thank you. You two have been friends for how long? Why don't you guys talk about how you first met? And he invested a lot of money at the time with Warren when he was starting his own fund. You know, Warren was in his 20s, in his late 20s. Well, want to tell the story? Go ahead. Uh, there was a, uh, a doctor couple, very prominent in Omaha, and uh, his name was Eddie Davis. Her name was Dorothy Davis. She was very, very smart. He was very famous as a doctor, and they called me one day, and they said, and I had met him, uh, and it was Mrs. Davis that called me, naturally. She did everything. And, uh, she said, uh, we've heard that you manage money and, and we'd be kind of interested in listening to your story about how you, how you do it and what we might do with you. So I went over and uh, I talked to him and uh, I was all full of myself and I, you know, I couldn't talk fast enough about stocks in those days. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Dorothy Davis very smart, and she listened to every word. I mean, she's out there like you right across. <laughs> and, and she was taking it all, and she'd ask good questions and everything. And the doctor was kind of over in the corner submitting a yo-yo or something, and not paying much attention. And uh, I got all through, and uh, the wife looked over at the doctor, and he said, uh, I'm gonna give him $100,000. And I was managing about 500000 at the time, so it was a big deal. And in a very nice way, I said, Dr. Davis, I said, you know, you really haven't been paying much attention to what I've been saying and everything. I, I'd kind of like to know why you're giving me this $100,000. It was much more modest than that uh, way I edged into it. And uh, Dr. Davis looked at me and he said, well, he says you remind me of Charlie Munger. And I said, well, I don't know who Charlie Munger is, but I like him. <laughs> and he gave me $100,000. And, uh, uh, and then they told me about Charlie and they clearly loved him. And it sort of became their mission that, that uh, sometimes they wanted to get me and Charlie together. Uh, one time, uh, Dr. Davis was adding to the sum he was put into the partnership, and he started making out the checks. 
too, Charlie. <laughs> I said, I said Eddie, I, I knew him better, but I said, Eddie, you know, it's, it's one thing to confuse me with the guy, but I, you know, when you write the, start writing the checks, get my name in there, you know. Uh, so, uh, so Charlie, in 1959, his dad died, and he came back to Alma. His mother lived there, and, 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 and uh, she was a terrific woman, Tootie Munger. And uh, uh, everybody in town knew Tootie. And uh, the Davises really got us together. Uh, I don't know whether it was Neil, was it the son, actually, that arranged the dinner, Charlie? Or that, uh, it wasn't Neil. It was, it was the daughter, it, I think, Willa. And her it was Willa, yeah. yeah. And uh, so they arranged the dinner. And there's two different members of where we went. But, uh, but we went to this dinner, and about five minutes into it, Charlie was sort of rolling on the floor laughing at his own jokes, which is exactly the same thing I did. So I, this, I'm not going to find anything out like this. And uh, we just hit it off. Charlie, what did they off. first tell you about Warren? How did they describe him to you? Well, the Davises were like a second set of parents to me. There were two sets of three children. My father's best friend was Eddie Davis. My mother's best friend was Mrs. Davis. I lived in that house back and forth as though it were an alternate house of the mongers. And Mrs. Davis gave me the honor of switching my legs when I misbehaved, just as if I were one of her own. <laughs> you probably gave her plenty so, of calls, so too. Anything <laughs> the Davises asked me to do, I was going to do. And he, Dr. Davis was the son of a main mathematics professor at the University of, of Nebraska. And he was a very brilliant man and very lean and skillful and mechanically gifted with good quality and a surgeon, by the way. And I, I just had endless respect for the Davises. So anything they suggested, I would automatically do. What did you think of Warren when you first met him? We got along <laughs> fine. Oh, well. <laughs> Both of our wives thought, my God, another one. <laughs> <laughs> Buffett and Munger became friends, kindred spirits, but found they had shared values and sort of a shared personality that could create an entirely new kind of business. You know, it was a, it was a case of like at first sight, I guess you could say. <laughs> the two of them really <laughs> hit it off and started laughing at their own jokes together. And that was that. What I like about Warren is the irreverence. We don't have automatic reverence for the pompous heads of all civilization. Is that something that came with age, or you, you we guys were, were born that with that? We were kind of always the way. We were, we were a little more extreme. I've learned to behave a little bit better. Charlie really hasn't learned to be much better. <laughs> but we, you know, I just knew instantly Charlie was the kind of guy that I was going to like and I was going to learn from. But, it, you know, it wasn't anything calculated decision or anything like that. That It, it was natural. And, and we have had nothing but fun. We came from good people. If there's any failure, it wasn't our people. It's striking that they're both over 90 and still not only working full-time and fully engaged, but also sort of acting as like Rosetta Stones for successful business. How have they structured Berkshire? kind of in their own likeness, but how have they structured it that's so different and unusual from other companies? It's just very loosely structured. I mean, they, they buy companies and then they literally leave them alone. They, they buy companies where they like the managers and they want managers that want to stay with the business. They get excited about other people who are like them, who love their jobs and love working. So I, I think for them, neither one of them ever wanted a boss. Even, you know, I, I, Warren Buffett, 
going back, he's, he's only had three bosses in his life. He was telling me at one point, one of them was the guy at JCPenney when he was a kid. Another one was the guy uh, when he had paper route who ran all the paper routes. Um, and the third one was Ben Graham who wore an idolized. Benjamin Graham, the father of value investing. He wrote The Intelligent Investor back in 1949. It's a business and investing book that is still widely read today. Although, naturally, Warren Buffett read it back then. A couple of years later, he studied under Graham at Columbia Business School. Graham's philosophy was making money without taking on too much risk. Hmm, Sound familiar? Those ideas shaped Warren Buffett into the investor he's been for the last 70 years. And Graham was heading up a company called Geico while he was teaching at Columbia. Now, this is long before the spokes Gecko and the insurance company being a wholly owned subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, I stumbled into the insurance business because Ben Graham, I, I was at the library in, in, at Columbia and I looked up my hero, Ben Graham, whose course I was taking there, and it said, Chairman Government Employees Insurance Company. I didn't know what Government Employees Insurance Company was. So I went to the librarian and I said, where can I learn more about insurance companies? He said, well, you get this big blue book over here and it tells about them. So there was a page in 2,000 pages and it said they were in Washington, D.C. And and, uh, and uh, I didn't know a thing about it. And that Saturday, I, 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 I got on the first trying to get down there and went down to visit this company that my hero was chairman of. Uh, although he was teaching at Columbia one course a week and all that, he was based in New York. And uh, when I got to the place, the door was locked. Uh, and in Omaha, they worked on Saturday, but in Washington, they worked on Saturday. And the door's locked, and I started pounding on the door, pounding on the door. And finally, a janitor came, and, and uh, he let me in. and. I said, is there anybody here but you? And he didn't seem to take offense with that. And he said, there's a guy up on the top floor. And there's a wonderful man named Lorimer Davidson. And he spent about four hours. And he'd gone down there on Saturday to do something else. And I ruined his day. But he, was a, he, just, he gave me a, a lifetime education in insurance in four hours. He's just a super wonderful man. And I did not get interested in in insurance because of the float. I got interested because of GEICO and really the underwriting and the growth possibility. So I, I, my interest in the insurance business started just as, well, when I was in school, as the first stock I, well, it wasn't really the first stock I bought at all, but it was the first stock I bought sort of post-Graham. And I had three quarters of my net worth in, 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 in that stock. And, and, and it was the first stock I sold when I became a stock salesman at age 20, I left Columbia and went back to Alma and started selling stocks. And I just went all over town telling people they were idiots that they didn't buy stock in Geico. And when I get all through, they'd always say, well, what does your dad think? And that made me mad. So I was one with <laughs> Coming up on Squawk Pod. As the ink dried we, dried, we realized we'd made a big mistake. Learning from your mistakes. Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, and the value of an undervalued business. All the early businesses that we owned together have disappeared. They didn't disappear, they failed. They failed, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. 
I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. We're back. The Berkshire Bromance. A few years after meeting Charlie Munger in Omaha, Warren Buffett had grown his investment partnership into more than a quarter million dollars. He found Berkshire Hathaway, started buying stock in the textile mill in 1962, and took ownership of it in 1965. A few years ago, a film reel was discovered in the Nebraska State Archives from a local television crew's 1962 interview with young Omaha investor Warren Buffett. I think the president's action on steel uh, probably had something to do with the timing of the decline, but I don't He was weighing in on the policies of President Kennedy, and 31-year-old Buffett totally looks the part. Skinny tie, close-cropped hair, black frame glasses. He was asked to comment, like he would be today, on the markets. Well, in a nutshell, Mr. Buffett, can you give us uh, your opinion of just exactly what happened, what caused it? Well, there was... uh, Undoubtedly, some force selling the uh, the week uh, when the stock market hit the news. The previous week, uh, prices had declined about 6% for the week on average. And uh, there was some stock that uh, was forced upon the market both by margin calls from brokers and uh, uh, some that was uh, forced out by in, in improperly uh, secured bank loans. Around the same time, Munger had given up his career as a lawyer and had been running his own investment firm in Los Angeles. That is, until his good friend convinced him to shutter it and join him at Berkshire. So how did the business relationship start? Well, Warren had scorn for my way of making a living, and he was correct in that. It took me a long time to wise up that he had had a better way of making a living than I did. But he finally convinced me that I was wasting my time. As a lawyer? Yeah. I told him it was okay as a hobby, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not the real way to spend his time. He more or less decided to duplicate in Los Angeles what I was doing in in Omaha, which was great. You know, and 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 but we well before that. I mean, we just connected and we we talked a long time on on the phone when it was expensive to talk a long time on the phone. <laughs> I didn't sit there with an hourglass. And, but with Charlie, I mean, my family could tell when Charlie was calling. <laughs> I mean, and I would, we'd go on for a long, long time. And we had fun in the early days because it was like hunting expeditions. We, we had a lot of fun. Looking we, for stocks? We still have a lot of fun. Well, well buying things together. And... Now we, we went on one deal to Baltimore and and we needed to get a lawyer for it, and uh, uh, the deal was 1966, and uh, uh, we got a guy from Washington that came up, and, and uh, Charlie's instructions to the lawyer was just, you know, we'll do it our way, but you're, you're just kind of window dressing here, but we need you, and, and treat Warren like you'd treat any 90-year-old. I was 35 <laughs> at the time, and, <laughs> and it worked very well. We had a good relationship. Uh, yes. It, we have really never had anything, including failures, that weren't fun. Uh, you know, that they were interesting. I mean, they were, they were, you were working on things together, and 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 we knew we would do well too. I mean, we were we were self-confident about the the world in which we existed then. That that that, that uh, it, it was it was more fun doing it together. I would not want to sit in a room all by myself, spend the rest of my life <laughs> buying stocks. One of the first deals they did together um, 
was diversified re- retail. And, and they'll talk about this department store that they bought together in Baltimore. And uh, it, it was the two of them and Sandy Gottesman. And um, they were thrilled at the prospect of it. But as soon as they got into the deal, they realized that it was a melting ice cube. Baltimore, 1966. Buffett and Munger are working with Sandy Gottesman, who founded First Manhattan Company in the early 60s and was an early Berkshire investor. He's held on to those shares and they're worth billions today. And the melting ice cube the three had on their hands was the changing behavior of consumers, leaving urban department stores for the mall. All the early businesses that we owned together have disappeared. They didn't disappear, they failed. They failed, oh, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> but, but we took so much out of them before they failed that we, it still worked out fine for us. Well, and we went on to you, we evolved them. I mean, but, but, but literally the, the three base businesses all ended up disappearing. They went out of business. They, didn't, they no longer fit into society in a sense. And actually the, the, first, the very first deal that, that we joined in on was something called diversified retailing, which was in Baltimore. We bought a department store there. And uh, we had Sandy Gottesman had 10%, Charlie had 10%, and, and in his partnership, he had 10%. And I had 80% in our partnership, and the three of us. And we always treated it as, you know, we may have had 80, but we were equal partners. And, and uh, we put $6 million into that. We called it diversified retailing, but we only had one <laughs> department store chain, but we had no. <laughs> and, uh, and we had a lot of fun with that, but we also saw after we were in a little while, department, this department store. As the ink big... dried, we, dried, we realized we made a big mistake. <laughs> as, oh, as the ink dried? Yeah. As the ink dried, yeah. it didn't take very long. Yeah. Why, what happened? Well, you heard the old story, let me out of this trap, I decided I don't like the cheese. <laughs> we just wised up the fact that it was one tough business we'd bought into and that the sellers had made the good decision. We'd made Ho- a bad one. It was at Howard and Lexington Street in Baltimore, which the, was the busiest corner. Had all four department stores there, Hutzler's, Stewart's, Hoshel Cohen, that's our store, and Heck. And none of those four stores are there anymore. And that was number one in traffic count. And you go to Howard and Lexington Street, and there's nothing there now. So, you know, the streetcar tracks may have gone there at one time, but the streetcar tracks aren't important anymore. <laughs> so we made a mistake. And... Uh, uh, we had we had some terrific people who were running it for us that were actually related to Sandy's wife. Uh, Exceptionally and, uh, honorable people. Really honorable people and smart. If you're yes. losing money in a business with a smart, decent person, you know, we got a problem. I mean, that's the business. <laughs> Use the smart, decent person to move them over some other place and move the capital some other place. And the company was not yet losing money, but we could see. We soon realized it was about to lose money. Yeah. And, and, and so we, we, we sold the apartment store. It went out of business in 1983, but Hutzers, which was the silk stocking department store, they went out of business in, I don't know, 1985 or something. They're, they're gone. And, and the people there quite understandably wanted to build more branch stores, but you don't want to put more money into a, a business that's destined for failure. Now we put $6 million of capital in that and it was a dumb decision and everything, but that's $6 million. What would it be worth now, Charlie? It, uh, they got four tenths of a share. Great many billions. Oh, it's tens of billions. Yeah, tens of billions. Now, if the department store had succeeded, we'd have a nice little business to <laughs> send us a little check. But because it failed, we've made twenty-five. Oh, we've made more than twenty-five billion uh, in that. Uh, 
Uh, didn't look like it at the time, though. <laughs> so when you realized it was a mistake, what did you do? How, how did you address we, it? We asked Sandy, who was the best salesman among us, to go sell it. <laughs> and, and we sold it, and uh, we put the money into Berkshire. We got about 95% of our money back. Yeah. We put the money into, and we'd borrowed $6 million in there, so now we had that. So we, we, we bought Berkshire stock, and we bought blue chip stamp stock and eventually put it all together. It looked like a plate of spaghetti at one time, which was not good. as just complicated. And so we, we put them all together. And, uh, you know, I've still got stock and Charlie's still got stock that came out of diversified retailing, as do a number of my partners at, uh, uh, from the old days. Uh, it, it was, the best thing that happened to us was that this place failed, obviously was a failure. Uh, Why? What did you learn? To me? leave quickly. Yeah, and, and use the capital someplace. Else. I mean, it was. It, it, uh... One thing we've learned is if it's clear that something is a mistake, is to fix it quickly. It doesn't get better while you wait. As the saying goes, to make an omelet, you gotta break a few eggs. Around 1970, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger started investing in a well capitalized company called Blue Chip Stamps. It was a loyalty program, like your frequent flyer miles or the card you swipe at the local grocery store. A customer would buy something at a store and be given X number of stamps for Y dollars spent. You save up your stamps and buy something special, a lawnmower, something for the house. So what, what was it about Blue Chip that you liked? What attracted you to that business? Well, it had a huge amount of cash and marketable securities on hand from the float. They sold the stamps for cash and they didn't have to redeem them for toasters and radios and so forth until much later. And so it was a big float business and we'd bought the equity very cheap. There were big antitrust attacks against blue chip stamps. And it did not have an immaculate conception. No, it didn't. <laughs> it, a group of very big oil companies and retailers got together because they were worried about Sperry and Hutchinson which was the big stamp company coming out to California. So they defensively formed their own operation. And, uh, and so the, actually the big company didn't like the littler company. <laughs> and and it, was a, it was a complicated situation. But the fact it was complicated actually meant the stock was quite cheap. And Charlie and I and Rick Aaron all bought stock, not as a group, but, but we, we had ideas and, and, and we talked. And, and uh, and and we had a we had a, we had a good time. We had a good time, actually, with the department store business. I mean, we learned things. We met nice people, and, and uh, it, it it's all been very very interesting. But we did start with three failures. <laughs> How do you all manage to stay so calm through that? Most of the time, people would be putting up that amount of their net worth, and they'd be very worried if they got into a situation that they realized was. was I think we've both been used to betting with our own net worth. Since it was very small, it didn't change that much and the numbers got a little bigger. I used it, to play marbles at Saunders School and I would gamble for marbles. I mean, it wasn't like we had no experience dealing with, with wealth. I, I dealt with wealth when my wealth was marbles. But part of that points to the, to the lesson of leverage and not, not having bet the money that you don't have. We, we've never liked leverage that much. and, and uh, I've never borrowed a dollar. I wasn't sure I was going to pay back one way or another. We like getting some leverage through businesses like blue chip stamps, where the people pay for the stamps in advance. Trading stamps, when you think about it, I mean, 
you know, airline rewards are, are the same thing. People love the idea of, of collecting little things that they then redeem for, for uh, something they've kind of dreamt about for a well, while. Credit cards are now reward systems. But we had a hundred. And, and they, those things, those systems do create customer loyalties. We had a 120 page catalog. Uh, I mean, people, they picked up their, their stamps at, at, at the grocery uh, checkout counter and forgot their change. I mean, it was, it, they were distributed through mortuaries and everything. I mean, it was, it was a huge, huge craze. And, and lasted and we, a long time. And we redeemed all our stamps. Now, the other, a great many of the other stamp companies just disappeared. I mean, they had the money and they sold it. They just disappeared. You couldn't find a place to redeem the stamps. Charlie kept redeeming stamps. I said, well, you know, I mean, we got, as long as we have a stamp on there, he wanted, uh, I don't know how, how long we even had a, we had a little Oh, catalog. we kept a redemption center for years after we stopped selling stamps. So we had, I don't think any other stamp company really did that. <laughs> but we had the use of the money for a time and we bought Berkshire shares with it. Join us tomorrow on Squawk Pod, Buffett Buys and Buys More, our special podcast series on the backstory of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger's Wealth of Wisdom continues. Stay tuned for How to Be Honest with Your Friends. He was working for clients and he thought he was smarter than the clients. And of course he was, but that's really not a... Uh, it's not lovable. You don't want to radiate that, no. <laughs> and one 97-year-old finds a pandemic silver lining. Oh, I fall in love with Zoom. That's all coming up this week on Squawk Pod. Special thanks to Becky Quick and CNBC Managing Editor Lacey O'Toole. And thanks to you. Like and follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.